Amen. Well, to all of you online or in-house, you are welcome in this place. Man, it's good to see you all. Um, one of the oldest commands to the Israelite people is that they would love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind. This sermon is an appeal to your mind. In fact, one of the reasons behind a series like this on the accuracy and authority of the Bible is because there is this current movement in our culture to disregard and undermine this sacred, ancient document. And as we noted last week with Satan in the beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the enemies of God have been spreading doubt and lies about the Word of God from the start. So when I say a current movement in our culture, really, this is not a new ploy. This is not a new strategy. Those opposed to God and His Word look for opportunities to defame and distract people from God's Word. Gallup poll released its findings just last year, almost to the day, on July the 6th, 2022, that fewer Americans see the Bible as the Word of God than ever before. Look at this paragraph from their concluding remarks. A record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal Word of God, down from 24% this, the last time this question was asked in 2017. Meanwhile, a new high of 29% say that the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. Those findings, to some, are alarming and shocking. But to others, those findings are what they think are a reflection of modern-day enlightenment and the fact that we today are far superior in our understanding than those before us. Some modern-day thinkers today say that Irenaeus, who lived and wrote in Lyons, France in the early years of the second century, was just simply confused when he said, most properly assured that the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God and his spirit. See, these critical people of the Bible's inspiration today think Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived in the fourth century, was just off track when he argued, we must not deliver anything whatsoever without the sacred scriptures, nor let ourselves be misled by mere probability or by marshalling of arguments. For this salvation of ours, by faith, is by proof from the sacred scriptures. Those who are unaccepting of the Bible as God's word also take issue with Augustine, who said, I have learned to hold the scriptures alone in errand. And Martin Luther was also seen as mistaken for when he wrote, I beg and faithfully warn every pious Christian not to stumble at the simplicity of the language and stories that will often meet him there. 
He should not doubt that, however simple they may seem, they are the very words, works, judgment, and deeds of the high majesty, power, and wisdom of God. The scriptures, although they were written by men, are not of men nor from men, but from God. We must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. A man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes. But the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, yea, greater than death and hell. For it forms part of the power of God and endures everlastingly. You see, those in opposition to the inspiration of the scriptures have also rejected more modern-day scholars like Machen, who wrote that the Bible is not partly true or part, and partly false, but all true. The blessed, holy word of God. Also, modern scholars are rejected like R.A. Torrey, who said, The Bible is the word of God. The voice that speaks to us from this book is the voice of God. Or Francis Schaeffer, that wonderful mind, even he is rejected, who said, The Bible is without mistake because it is God's inspired word. God cannot lie or contradict himself. And then the well-known and loved theologian J.I. Packer is also dismissed for writing, only truth can be authoritative. Only an inerrant Bible can be used in the way that God means Scripture to be used. Its text is word-for-word word God-given. Its message is an organic unity, the infallible word of an infallible God, a web of revealed truths centered upon Christ. Now, I took some time to list several of those from after the resurrection of Jesus up to today because I want you to see that this is just the tip top of the iceberg of how our modern day movement is ignoring in some circles the conviction and belief and the profound faith and scholarship of those who have gone before us. And I, <clears throat> I don't think I can say this strongly enough. I find these conclusions from these modern thinkers incredibly disturbing most disturbing. James Montgomery Boyce has greatly influenced what I'm trying to share with you even right now. He says he thinks one of the words surrounding this issue is the word inerrancy. If someone says that they believe in the inerrant word of God, well, what, what, we don't even use that word. What does that even mean? Well, some believe it means that you have to take every statement in the Bible literally. So if the Bible says that the sun rises or that God has a heart or that he mounts wings, they say that if the Bible is inerrant, then these statements and others need to be taken literally. It's supposing that for something to be true, it must be written in non-figurative language. But, but the Bible has poetry and the Bible has allegory. And the, if the Bible, well, we know that God doesn't have a body, but if the Bible wants to help us understand God's deep love for us, how is it going to explain it unless it speaks of God's heart being moved? You see, inerrant isn't dependent on something being literal. Besides, more importantly, Jesus taught us that the Bible is trustworthy. Look at his words. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, 
Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Is it not written in your law to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside? I know I'm taking a couple of those a little out of context right in the middle, but you can see that if we take a lesser view of the Bible, we are making Christ and his words less important. To confess the lordship of Jesus in our life means to believe and to follow him in all of his teachings, even in what he said about the Bible. So what does inerrancy mean here? Here's your definition. It simply means the Bible is wholly true. What Scripture says, God says. It's His Word. Now, I think there are many reasons for the inerrancy of the Bible. But let me just give you three to kind of maybe whet your appetite. And maybe this can start us in a study that we'll find ourselves even more dependent on this terrific treasure, this wonderful, sacred, preserved book that we have. The first is, it might seem a little unfair, but the Bible itself teaches inerrancy. Now, let me, let me back up just a little bit. If we think about the Bible and our dependency on it for some of our most basic doctrines, you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the doctrine of the virgin birth or Jesus as God's son, or his sinless life, his atoning death, his resurrection that was witnessed by hundreds. We're talking about basic doctrines of the nature of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit, the promised return and the final judgment. Now, you guys, we accept and believe with accuracy and authority all of these doctrines and many, many more. So since that's true, isn't it reasonable that we should consider equally accurate the Bible when it talks about itself? Our benchmark text for this series, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This most valuable book is the direct result of the breathing out of God. That is the actual literal Greek word. This breathed out word of God would be characterized by God who is what? Truthful and authoritative. And now somebody says, well, Jim, uh, this passage in 2 Timothy, Paul, Paul wrote that, and he wrote that before a lot of the New Testament books had been added. But there was this understanding that these new writings by Jesus' followers would be included in this breathing out word of God. Look at another time when Paul was talking to the church plant in Thessalonica. Look at this. This is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, the apostle Paul says, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. And, uh, and Peter picks up this beep. Look what he says in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking them of these matters, 
speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant, watch this, and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Do you see what Peter did there? He put Paul's letters on the same category as the Old Testament writings. Let me give you one more from Peter. This is his second epistle again, the first chapter, verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets through human, though human, sorry, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That carried along is the same word that's used in Acts when it talked about the, sh the, the ship that Paul was in was carried along by the wind until it wrecked. So you have Peter teaching us that the writings of the Bible were being moved by the Holy Spirit to produce the words God wanted recorded. And these words of the Bible are not man's words about God. No, no, they're God's words about man, and they're to man. They're for us to read. Because the Bible has its source in God, and because it is the Word of God, and it's not the mere words of man, the biblical writers regarded scriptures as being an absolute and infallible authority. The Bible itself teaches inerrancy. I got to pause right here. I told you I was going to be appealing to the mind. And this is kind of technical, but I'm telling you what, you live in a world of people that are doing everything they can to take away this terrific gift. And they're wanting you to think, oh, it's just not relevant anymore. It's just a bunch of old wives' tales. Oh, y'all, that just could not be farther from the truth. The Bible itself declares its inerrancy. Another reason for this is that Jesus affirmed it. <laughs> you guys think about it. When he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness after his baptism, how did he answer every single one of those temptations? With the word. He started it with, it is written. Man does not live on bread alone. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written, you shall not bow down to anyone else. All three times, he's, he's speaking directly from Scripture. The book of Deuteronomy, to be specific. Jesus would reply to a, 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 a trick question that was asked by the Sadducees. Now, you remember the Sadducees, they were seen as the ones that understood the old law better than anybody else. The Sadducees were actually seen as more scholarly than the Pharisees. The Sadducees were it in that society. And they tried to get Jesus in this trick question. And you remember how Jesus responded? The first thing he said was, it was a rebuke. And he said, oh, you don't know the scriptures. You talk about, for Jesus to say that to the Sadducees? I mean, you would have thought they'd have been stoned right then and there. But he had such authority. He said, oh, you just don't understand the scriptures. And then what did he do? He gave them a direct quote from the Bible. He took them to the book of Exodus to try to explain how their misunderstanding was so lacking. And on another occasion, Jesus appealed to scripture to support his actions. You remember when he drove the people out of the temple that were the money changers? Had that cord and whip? He quoted scripture there. My father's house is a house of prayer straight from Scripture. Another time, explaining his willingness to submit to the cross, took them again to Scripture. 
Jesus saw his life as a fulfillment to Scripture. You remember when Jesus was in his hometown and they asked him to go ahead and make the reading at the local synagogue? Remember this from The Chosen? Such a great scene. And he pulls out that scroll and he reads from Isaiah and then puts it back together. Remember what Jesus said today? In your hearing, this has been fulfilled. And it hacked them off so much. They were enraged. They immediately took him out to the edge of town and were going to throw him over a cliff. Jesus is an authority. He said, no, this isn't the time for me to do that. And they passed right. But what was he saying in that, in that scripture? He was saying, I am the fulfillment of this. You see how Jesus regarded the Bible? He foretold of the scattering of his disciples in the night of his arrest, backing that up with Scripture. You remember even after the resurrection, Jesus joined those two who were on the road to Emmaus. You remember that story? Oh, it's such a good story in the end of the Gospel of John. And they were so confused at the crucifixion of Jesus, couldn't understand what was going on. It says specifically that Jesus took them to the Scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that Bible study on that road? And he just took everything. You see, Jesus regarded the Old Testament as an authoritative revelation. Jesus taught that the Bible was a witness to him. It's accurate, it's authoritative, and it's true. Jesus affirmed the Scriptures' inerrancy. But we must not miss that. And then finally, the third one for this morning, God's character demands it. If God is a God of truth, which the Bible declares him to be, then the Bible must be wholly truthful and inerrant. Jesus said, your word is truth. The psalmist wrote, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Solomon the wise said, every word of God is flawless. Paul wrote to Titus, God, who does not lie? And the author of Hebrews said, it is impossible for God to lie. In the final analysis, an attack on the Bible is an attack on the character of God. Some people think that God can lie. But God says, I am true, and every human being a liar. Okay, there it is. I, I told you I was, I was going to appeal to the mind, but, you know, I'm, I'm heart-led in most of my life, so i gotta, I got to take it back to the heart just for a little bit. Uh, next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more, hopefully, about some of the errors and the manuscript discrepancies even some of the popular objections given today to the Scripture being infallible and errant word of God. But for right now, let, let's step back from all the stuff that I've thrown at you and all these Scriptures. Let's step, for a sec step back for a second, just in, in an effort maybe to have a, a larger perspective, a, a larger view. I'm going to ask you a question in just a second, but first let me, let me, let me admit this with you. I do think that a part of seeking God... And seeking truth is a willingness to question and to consider different perspectives. Agree. Agree with that. Now, let me ask the question. Who stands more to gain 
by attacking the authority and the accuracy of the Bible. Those who are looking to find God or those who are looking to find something else. Is it possible? I'm just saying, is this possible? I'm not trying to make a judgment here. Is it possible that these modern-day attacks on the Bible are more of a revelation of the great spiritual warfare that's being waged over the souls of humanity? Can, can we move back and see? Maybe that's really what's at stake here, what's going on. Is this ancient document that we call the Bible, in fact, a word from God showing us how much he loves us? When I was a teenager, one of my heroes in the faith was a guy named Jim McGuigan. <laughs> he was really challenging the denomination I grew up in. You know, I grew up in a denomination that thought it was sinful to use any kind of an instrument in in, in worship to God. And I can remember him in his Irish accent looking at the camera, and he, well, he was actually came to our campus where we were, and he looked at, he looked at us and he said, is the center of discipleship a piano? <laughs> and it was so good for us to think about that. You know, is that, is that really what we want to die on the hill over? You know, such a good word. He had an example that he told and I've told many times before, and some of you have heard this, but just get, it's about a little boy named Durkee. Durkee had a rich dad who owned lots of land. And one of Durkee's favorite things to do as a young boy was to explore. And sure enough, one afternoon, he found himself where he couldn't figure out where he was. And he got lost. And by nightfall, Durkee's parents were worried. So they sent out search teams trying to find him, couldn't find him all night. And then Durkee's dad did something really neat. He went to their copier and he had printed thousands upon thousands of these little slips of paper that simply said, Durkee, don't worry, I'll find you, love dad. And he told his workers to go up in the helicopter and to drop these pieces of paper. He said, I want them everywhere. I want them all over our acreage. The thousands of acres, I want them everywhere. I just want you to spread them everywhere. So they sent back out the search parties in the morning. And way up in the morning, they finally found Durkee with two fistfuls of those pieces of paper. You guys, this book, it's this incredible lettered love and it's him telling you, don't worry, I'll find you. Love that. God, let us not neglect this terrific resource that you have preserved for us through the centuries. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Let us remember that this is how we secure our thoughts in you. Speak to us again, Father, through this lettered love. In Jesus' name.